we're going to get started here. Let's, uh, let's pray and open up there. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, what a privilege it is to, to come together, to worship you, to open up your word, and to learn more about who you are. Um, and God, you are uh, so infinite in your, in your nature, in your character, in your works. Um, God, it is just truly something that we can never exhaust. So God, I just pray that you would bless this time together, that, uh, uh, that we would have just a, a deeper understanding of, of who you are, and Lord, that that would impact our lives, that we would uh, just love you more, that we would uh, be more able to live lives that are honored to you, and Lord, we just pray these things in Christ's name. All right, so we're beginning a new study this morning um, on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think everybody here has been in my Sunday school classes before, but I'll just remind you that I, I do like for it to be interactive, so I'll ask questions, or if you have questions or comments, just you know, feel free to, to jump in. Um, I'm trying out my poor man's hearing aids, so hopefully I'll be able to hear you guys a little better with my my poor hearing. I, I should probably take my mask off too. I'm not thinking. Um, so, can everybody hear me okay, I guess? <clears throat> Alright, so so we're going to begin this study on uh, the Holy Spirit. And we've, you know, we've, we've gone through uh, various studies um, since I've been teaching Sunday school that have talked about God in various ways. We've gone through the attributes of God. We've talked about uh, the, the life of Christ. We've talked about the um, the the um, the atonement, you know, basically the work of Christ, um, things like that. So, um, Pastor Rick recommended this as a as a topic, and I think it'll be a good one that we just focus in on the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, and of course, um, we believe um, that the Bible teaches that uh, that God exists in a Trinity. He is one God existing in three persons, um, and so. The, the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, um, and I think that's where we where we ought to start is just to start with the idea of like who is the Holy Spirit, basically in relation to the Trinity. Um, as we go through the study, we're going to be talking a lot about um, you know the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the the various things that He does um, in you know all sorts of aspects of redemptive history, um, and so you know we're going to have lots of stuff to talk about, but we just want to start with um, just establishing um, who God is, and um, you know, and I'm sure that all of you have spent some time discussing or considering or studying the doctrine of the Trinity before, but uh, it would be good to, to have a review of that, but then specifically focused on uh, who Jesus, or sorry, who, who the Holy Spirit is. Um, so um, one of the ways that I find to be the most helpful in looking at the doctrine of the Trinity um, is really just to ask the question of, like, does the Bible force us to believe the, the doctrine of the Trinity? Um, sometimes the doctrine of the Trinity is presented as if it's just this philosophical construction that people have invented, or it's an adaptation of, of some kind of pagan ideas. There's all sorts of accusations that get made about the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, but ultimately, as biblical Christians, um, we believe the doctrine of the Trinity because that's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible doesn't ever use the word Trinity, um, but it is uh, something that just comes out of what Scripture teaches. 
And I think that um, what, what I find to be the most helpful is to just look at it as there's three truths that the scripture teaches. And if those three things are true, then the doctrine of the Trinity is true. Namely, that there's only one God, um, that there are three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all divine, um, and that those uh, three persons are co-equal and co-eternal. Um, so, so we have uh, a, a singular God, but we have a distinction of persons, and all of those persons are divine. Um, if we have those three aspects, we have the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, so it's, it makes it very easy because you can just prove all of those things from Scripture. So before we delve in specifically to um, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, first question is, how many gods are there? I mean, one. One, one. yeah, right? That's, that's easy. Um, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, multiple passages could be cited to prove this. Uh, the Bible just very, cle- very clearly teaches that there's only one God. Um, so if we start talking about the Holy Spirit and we see that he's you know, referred to as God in some way, um, one thing we can never do is start saying, oh, well, you know, we have you know, the Father is God, um, and then Jesus is another God, and then the Holy Spirit is another God. Um, there's, there's a, uh, a religious movement out there that has something at least similar to that. Does anybody know um, what religious group would have some kind of similar view to that to make them all God but make them distinct from each other? Mormons. Mormons, that's exactly right. Yeah, they have, you know, basically, I mean, of course, the Mormons, they have many, many more gods because uh, they believe that, you know, humans become gods. Um, and that, in fact, God the Father used to be a human and became God. Um, but they they want to, in a sense, affirm the deity of all three persons, but they want to deny the central teaching of the Bible that there's only one God. So that's obviously a, a huge problem. Now, focusing more specifically on the Holy Spirit, and this is where we're going to spend a, a lot of our time this morning, Um, The question is, is the Holy Spirit a person, or kind of the main alternative that's been presented, is the Holy Spirit uh, just a force? Uh, There are some people who would say that, well, the Holy Spirit, you know, it talks about the Holy Spirit and, you know, definitely gives divine qualities to the Holy Spirit, but it's not actually talking about a different person. It's just talking about God's action in, in time and space. Uh, just when God does something, it just says that, you know, it's the Holy Spirit doing it, but it really just means that God is doing it, um, and is not talking about a distinct person. Um, again, this is a position that is presented by some groups. Does anybody know of a group that teaches that? I see Ryan just chomping at the bit there, ready to answer another one. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would say that... Um, from their perspective, only the Father is God, um, and they denigrate uh, the Son to the position of just an exalted archangel, um, and then the Holy Spirit, from their perspective, is just God's active force. It's not actually referring to a distinct person. The question is, what does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit? Do you think the Bible teaches that, that uh, the Holy Spirit is a, is a distinct person? 
one. Yes, uh, you just you go to the baptism of Jesus mm-hmm. and you see you see not just a force, you see the spirit coming down in the form of a dove. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There you have, and that's a really interesting one because you have you know right there the convergence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's one of the many passages we have where all three members of the Trinity are brought together in some way. Uh, but yeah, the the Holy Spirit there is manifest as a as a dove um, and is you know very distinct there's like all sorts of places where we can go to and look in where scripture teaches us that the holy spirit is a person and i'm sure many of you are familiar with this but still would be great to review and if you're not familiar with this then it'll be great to see the many places that scripture says this and these are the types of things where we read over them and we don't really like I mean, frequently it's like we, we're paying attention to something else, and these things just kind of slide by us, and we don't really think about the implication of, well, this is really proving that the Holy Spirit is a person. Because it's like, you know, the passage is often talking about something else, and so that's where our focus is. But I think it'll be really good to just go through and just see how consistently Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, one way that it shows that is in the use of personal pronouns. Uh, now, there are many places where, um, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as he or him or something like that. The Holy Spirit himself, even um, in Scripture, speaks and uses personal, personal pronouns of himself. Uh, one of the places where that happens is in Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 20. And you're welcome to flip to these passages as I, as I reference them and uh, look at them, or, or you can just listen to me if you're really attentive. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll have several passages to go through. But Acts chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now, I mean, we look at this, and we say, well, clearly this is, this is I mean, and again, this, this d- demonstrates the, the deity of Christ. And clearly this is God speaking to Peter. But specifically in the passage, it's the Holy Spirit who is said to be speaking to Peter. And, this, and the Spirit is, he's speaking, he's saying, I have sent these people, um, speaking as a person. Uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 2 um, and the place there where it says, uh, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we, we see there, it's not specifically the Father or the Son that is calling these people to uh, the, their uh, ministry among the Gentiles, um, but it's the Holy Spirit specifically we see here. Um, and the Holy Spirit speaking and saying, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have called them. Um, so the Holy Spirit refers to himself with personal pronouns, not something you would expect a, an active force to do. Um, now the Holy Spirit does a number of things in Scripture. I mean, we've already seen this. We've seen the Holy Spirit speaking. Um we flip over to John chapter 15. Um, here Jesus is speaking. Um, John chapter 15, verse 26. 
He says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So, just to make sure you guys are paying attention here, what is it that we see the Spirit doing in this passage? Or at least said that he will do. Again here, um, John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Spirit's bearing witness about Christ. Yeah, the Spirit is bearing witness about Christ. It's not an active force. This is, you know, that's a person bearing witness. Um, again, this, I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to be very... And you, you know, you can almost argue if you just have like, you know, one or two passages. Like, well, maybe you know, something that isn't a person is being personified. But um, hopefully, when we see these multitude of passages, we'll see that it's like you just don't speak this way about something that isn't a person, um, and he is a person. Um, just the next chapter over, uh, John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. Uh, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So when we look at that passage, um, again, um, Jesus is speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the things that he's going to do. What types of things do we see the Holy Spirit doing in this passage? He'll guide us in all truth. Mm -hmm. He's going to guide us in all truth. And, so. and he doesn't speak on his own authority, but just what he hears. Right. But he is speaking, right? Excuse me, yes. Yeah, so... Need a, need a person to do that. Anything else? Pretty similar there, but we have the idea of him declaring, right? Um, and it also talks about him glorifying. And he's glorifying Jesus. So this... We have basically a person distinct from from Jesus um, who is uh, glorifying Jesus. Another passage, Acts chapter 8, verse 29. This is uh, the account of uh, when uh, Philip um, is uh, evangelizing the man in the chariot. And uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, 29 says, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Again, just another simple passage. It's, it's the Spirit speaking. Um, so, another indication that we're talking about a person. Um, Acts chapter 21, verse 11. And coming to us, uh, he took Paul's belt around, I guess I should give context. This is this is a prophet. I don't actually remember off the top of my, my head the name of the prophet, but there's a prophet here who is coming and telling Paul um, about what's going to happen to him. He said, coming to us, he took Paul's belt, 
and bound his his own feet and hands and said thus says the holy spirit this is how the jews at jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the gentiles so again just another example of the holy spirit being the one who is speaking another passage that um, again has it in a a slightly different way uh, is Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 here Paul is is giving us information about our life in Christ and says uh, and because you are sons God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba Father Um, so it's the Holy Spirit that's that's crying that in our hearts. Um, so it's in a sense it's another sense of speaking there, uh, but it's obviously a, a much more intense way. Um, and again, we see all three persons of the Trinity uh, represented here. It's uh, you know that it's the Spirit of the Son um, and crying out, "Abba, Father." So we see um, again this this conjoining of the three persons that happens so frequently in scripture. Another area um, that we're going to be delving in more in future lessons, um, Romans chapter 8. Um, we're going to look at verses uh, 26 and 27 here. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So looking at that passage, there's a there's a lot going on there. What do we see in there as far as the spirit performing actions? He intercedes for us. Yeah, he intercedes for us. Well, it actually said it, it help, he helps us in our weakness. Mm-hmm. For, and for we do not know what to pray for, the spirit will intercede for us. He, he is, when, when we are failing in our prayer, he is, he is working on our behalf Mm -hmm. and he does that according to the will of God Mm -hmm. you know so there's a consciousness there you know it's not just a force right yeah 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 it's it's a it's a understanding the will of God and assisting us interceding for us praying for us I mean this is I mean the, the idea that like this is just the active force of God just doesn't fit with this passage um, just very clearly, um, this is a person here uh, that is that is in us and helping us um, in our in our uh, in our weaknesses, in our um, in our uncertainties in our prayer life. Um, another passage, First Corinthians uh, chapter two, verses ten and eleven. First Corinthians two ten and eleven. Uh, it says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? 
so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So when we consider that passage, what do we see the Spirit doing here? Really, the Spirit's opening our eyes. It's allowing us to understand mm-hmm. what God is telling us. Right? Yeah. Yeah, things are revealed to us through the Spirit. And He does that because He searches these mm-hmm. things, searches everything, even the depths of God. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, again, obviously a very personal thing to do there is to search. Um, anything else? there at the end it says so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God so we have the spirit of God who's comprehending the thoughts of God Um, this is one of those passages just like if you're saying that the spirit is just an active force then it's like how do you even how do you even approach this text you know if you have the spirit who is comprehending the thoughts of God I mean if it was comprehending something outside of God then maybe you say well that's actually just God doing it and so it's through his active force, but it's it's actually the spirit comprehending the thoughts of, of you know basically the father. Um, so just very clearly we have a, a personal being here. Um, again, always remembering that there's only one God. Um, so this isn't you know creating a, you know a, a second or third God, but this is. Just within the one God, we have these three persons, but they we we have to maintain that they are actually distinct persons. And that has to mean also then too, the Holy Spirit is comprehending the mind of God, and the Holy Spirit is our helper, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Groans when we don't know what to pray, what to utter, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that means that by extension, then the Holy Spirit is doing the will of God, which proves it also all the more there too. Pro- proves also what? Proves all the more that the Holy Spirit is a person instead of a force, because since the Holy Spirit comprehends the mind of God and then does the will of God, and so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all ties together just to just to show that He is a person for sure. see here's another one here Acts chapter 20 verse 28 um, passage that's often cited for various reasons um, but very useful for what we're talking about this morning Acts chapter uh, 20 verse 28 uh, it says pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So there, Paul is um, speaking to, I believe it's the elders of Ephesus, if I remember correctly. Um, and he's giving them a warning. But what does he say about the Holy Spirit? What has the Holy Spirit done according to this passage? So he's he's made the elders overseers. So he assigns people within the church and and even with intent to to care for the church of God. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So just even like you know, the officers of the church, they are they are appointed there by the Holy Spirit. Um, so definitely a very active um, thing that, that God is doing in the person of the Holy Spirit. And also should uh, give us uh, a, a great deal of, of you know of reverence and respect for the the, the offices of the church. So. Um, also in Acts, back in chapter 5, um, verse 32, Acts 5, 32, it says, And we are witnesses of these things, and uh, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Um, so again, um, this is just a passage here where it's talking about that, that you know, that they are witnesses of what Christ has done, and the Holy Spirit is also a witness. So, um, again, a distinct person here. Um, it's not not talking about Christ, but um, it's the Holy Spirit, and He is a witness of things. Um, something that, again, is is only appropriate um, when we are speaking about um, a person. Let's see, Acts, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 29. Hebrews 10, 29. And here, um, in, in uh, the letter to the Hebrews, warnings are being given for people who are uh, tempted to fall away from the faith. Um, and in verse 29 there, it says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. So what do we see there about the Holy Spirit? Is there anything here about the Holy Spirit that just doesn't fit unless he's a person? Well, being outraged. Yeah, being outraged. I mean, can an active force be outraged? It doesn't really make much sense. Um, so it talks about the you know the Holy Spirit uh, is able to be outraged. Um, another one that is I'm sure very familiar to many people is Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse thirty. Ephesians four thirty. It says, "And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed." the day of redemption. Um, so not only can the Holy Spirit be outraged, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And so we're warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, just really, when you when you look you know, a, across the, the whole of Scripture, this is, you know, this isn't even an exhaustive list here, but it's a, a sampling to show that, um, that the Holy Spirit um, just exemplifies things uh, he does things. He's, he's able to experience emotions. Um, all these things just really point to the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, another passage that's, uh, that's fairly Trinitarian um, that is relevant to this as well is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. We're going to look at uh, verses 4 through 11. So this is a a little bit of a lengthy passage, but um, there's some 
some important things here that we want to just uh, talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, uh, says, Now there are various, sorry, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So here, Paul is speaking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit uh, given to the church uh, for the good of the church. How does he, how does he frame this? Um, when we look at it in the way that he, he lays it out in uh, verses four through six. What's the what's the pattern we see there? You guys see what's going on? It says uh, in verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, he says, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And then in verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. What do you think he's doing there? Well, he's brought in the Trinity. Yeah, he's brought in the Trinity. So, uh, very frequently, Jesus is referred to as, as Lord. That's, I mean, that's a... Um, a common New Testament thing, and then you know God, when He's brought in with the other members of the Trinity, is usually refers to Father, and then of course we have the Spirit, um, and we have varieties of gifts, but one Spirit, uh, varieties of service, um, but the same Lord. So, who are we serving? Well, we're serving one Lord. So we got we have one gift giver. We have one person that the service is going to. Um, there's varieties of activities, but there's one who empowers it all. So just just this unity is brought in here um, of you know of the gifts, uh, the the object of our gift, the, the service of God, and the empowerment coming from God. Um, really, just ties that all to get all together um, in in a sense, bringing it you know the the members of the Trinity into a unity there uh, in the activity of, uh, of the, the gifts of the Spirit uh, for, the, for the Christians. And then as he goes through the passage, he you know, talks about that it's, you know, it's one Spirit. Again, they're, they're having issues with division and competition in the Church of Corinth uh, with respect to these spiritual gifts, but you know, he's making the point, it's, it's all the same Spirit that's giving these gifts. There's, there should be a unity here. Um, and then at the end, he says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What's significant about that, that last part there? Specifically with reference to what we're talking about this morning. The Spirit has its own will, yeah. not just doing the will of the Father. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's specifically the Spirit who is willing on the distribution of the gifts in the church. Um, again, not... Not, not anything where, where you can just speak of it as a, as a, you know, speak of him as an active force. He is a person who has a will. Um, so very clearly, again, just bringing this truth to us. Um, now, uh, one of the ways that people will attempt to uh, try to argue against the idea of the Holy Spirit being a person is just to reference the fact that. Um, that we're, you know, we're said to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. And it's like, well, you know, it's like, you know, you're baptized into water, you know, that's just, that's just a substance. You know, it's like, well, you're baptized into the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're not baptized into a person, but if you, if you attempt that, I mean, you're not terribly familiar with the scripture because on at least two occasions, it talks about us being baptized into Christ. Romans chapter six, verse three, it says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So they were baptized into Jesus. Uh, Galatians 3.27 is very similar. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Um, so there's certainly nothing inappropriate with speaking of being baptized into a person. Nobody ever points to these passages and says, well, Jesus isn't a person because, uh, you know, it says we're baptized into him. Um, so, um, and to a large degree, um, like when you look at what Jehovah's Witnesses do in respect to uh, attempting to say that, that the Holy Spirit is just a force, um, is basically just a point to the fact that, you know, yeah, sometimes in the Bible, um, non-personal things are personified in some way. Um, and then basically just just drawing out that, well, we're monotheists, we only believe in one God, so if we make the Holy Spirit God, then we... You know, then we become tritheists. Um, and the Jehovah's Witness uh, common approach of basically just refusing to, to acknowledge what we mean when we say, uh, when we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. So. Now, hopefully that establishes very, very clearly and, you know, gives all you guys some, some good verses uh, to show that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is in fact a person, a separate person. Um, or maybe I should say a distinct person. Separate can get, uh, can be misunderstood. So, um, We also want to talk specifically about the fact that the Holy Spirit is fully divine. Um, the Holy Spirit is not uh, some spirit that God has created. I mean, you could look at this and say, oh yeah, sure, the, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person, it's just some lesser being that God created to, to do his work. Um, and uh, the Bible is very clear that that's not the case either. Um, many of the passages we've already looked at should you know, point us in that direction. Uh, but the Bible is actually fairly explicit about this. Um, probably the, the most well-known uh, passage on this is from Acts chapter 5. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira um, as they're giving uh, gifts to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the church there in Jerusalem. 
Why don't you read the first four verses there of Acts chapter 5. It says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now just in, in case you're not familiar with this passage, it, it can be confusing. It's like, well, what exactly was, you know, was uh, Ananias and Sapphira, what were they doing wrong? Um, and the, the thing that they were doing wrong wasn't that they didn't give the whole amount to the church. Um, you know, Peter is very clear. It's like, you know, it was your own property. You didn't have to sell it. After it was sold, you could do whatever you wanted with the money. You could keep 50% of it, give 50% of the church, keep 90% of it, give 10% of the church, whatever you want. But what you did was you said, yep, we sold it, and we gave every last penny to the church. But in fact, they didn't. That was the idea. That was That's what they did wrong, was that they were trying to make this boast that they'd been really self-sacrificial, uh, when in fact they were, uh, they were not actually doing that. They'd just been honest about what they were doing. It wouldn't have been a problem. But in the context of this, we see uh, Peter, um, he says in verse 3 that they've lied to the Holy Spirit. Um, and then if there's any doubt at all, then in verse 4 he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. Um, and I think that you know, the only way we can really take this is that in Peter's mind, talking about God and talking about the Holy Spirit, there's no distinction there in his mind. The Holy Spirit is God. So if you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you haven't lied to some created being uh, that represents God, but you've lied to God himself. So is that clear? Pretty pretty straightforward passage there. Um, another, uh, let's see. Uh, another, another place where we see this uh, presented um, is in just the idea of us being uh, God's temple. And this appears uh, numerous places in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So there, you know, it talks about that, that we are God's temple um, and the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling in us. Um, and then in chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own? So again, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. Um, and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God who said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So it's God himself that is dwelling in us. When it talks about us being the temple of God, it's talking about God himself dwelling in us. Um, and um, in the previous passages there in 1 Corinthians, you know, it's the Holy Spirit who's dwelling in us. So again, in Paul's mind, there's just a complete connection there. If he talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, 
That's the same thing as saying that, that God is dwelling in us. Another way that we can approach the, the question of is the Holy Spirit God is to consider the attributes of God. Um, you know, I'm sure all of you, or at least most of you, have been through some study of the attributes of God, and it's it's a it's a it's a great thing to do just to learn about who God is and His characteristics. Um, but what we see in Scripture is that uh, that the attributes of God are um, are used in reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, Psalm uh, 139, uh, verses 7 and 8, I'm sure all of you are very familiar with this passage. Um, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So in 139, 7, um, it's, you know, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your, pres- flee from your presence? Um, so there, you know, it's like, Again, the, you know, in a sense, the Father and the Spirit or are kind of just combined here. But it's you know, it's talking about the Spirit, and you can't you can't flee from the Spirit. The Spirit is everywhere. You know, go as high as you want or as low as you want. The Holy Spirit is there, and so we see that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Um, you know, I've, I've you know sometimes heard people speak uh, of like you know angels and demons and or Satan. Almost as if you know they're omnipresent. It's it's important for us to realize you know they're not just because they don't have physical being. They don't have extension in space, as it were. They still have a location. They can't be everywhere at once. Only God is everywhere at once. Um, and we see that that is true of the Spirit from Psalm 139. Um, we already looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11, but just to remind you, we, there we saw that the Holy Spirit searches even the depths of God um, and that he comprehends the thoughts of God. Um, If we talk about a person who comprehends the thoughts of God, um, we're talking about somebody who knows everything. I mean, there's just, there's no way around that. Uh, So omniscience is, uh, is attributed to the Holy Spirit. He comprehends the thoughts of God. I mean, we get a little glimpse of the thoughts of God. Um, and it's very difficult for us. But the Holy Spirit fully comprehends the thoughts of God. And only God can do that. Uh, the Holy Spirit is active in creation. Uh, Genesis 1 2. I'm sure you're all familiar with that. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so that's just integral to the story of how God. Uh, took the formless and void uh, existence that was and shaped it uh, into the the world that we have. Also in Psalm 104, uh, verses uh, 24 and 30, uh, verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works in wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And then in verse 30 it says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And so it's God sending forth his spirit and creating uh, the, the creatures of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is, uh, is creator. Um, very clearly an attribute of God. The Holy Spirit is also eternal. Um, 
Hebrews 9.14 um, says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So there the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the eternal Spirit. And then also, um, we've seen some Trinitarian passages as we've gone through, but very specifically, the Holy Spirit is identified uh, with the other members of the Trinity. Sometimes this is where all three members are brought together, and sometimes it's just kind of an interchanging of, of two of the members of the Trinity in a discussion. Uh, but... Uh, Matthew 28:19 is a well-known one, obviously. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so there we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all brought together um, in the in the baptism formula. Um, and this is this is the authority with which uh, the disciples are to go and to baptize. Um, one thing that's particularly interesting, what, what does he say there? Um, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's, is there anything strange or jarring or significant? I mean, it depends on how much you've thought about it, about that statement. It's not plural. It's not plural. It is not plural. That's exactly right. Um, it doesn't say in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uses the singular in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, just clearly indicating that we're talking about the same being here. Um, but that being exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So. Um, Mark, uh, here's a here's a, actually a, an interesting connection of verses uh, that runs through uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, where we have parallel accounts of something. And the wording is just enough different that it's really interesting that the whole Trinity is brought in, but only if you look at all three passages. Um, so Mark chapter 13, uh, verse 11, Jesus is speaking here in, the, in all these passages. Uh, it says, and uh, Mark 13, 11, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So there Jesus is telling them, like, in this instance here, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who's going to be speaking through you. So remember that, and then we look over at uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, this is in verses 19 and 20. It says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So there the Father is brought in. I mean, it's the Spirit of the Father, but it's the Father is brought into that discussion. And then when we flip over and see what Luke says, Luke chapter 21, verses 14 and 15, it says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to, with, uh, be able to withstand or contradict. So that Jesus himself is saying, I'm going to give you this wisdom. I'm going to give you the words to speak. 
Um, and so we just look at all three of these passages, and it's you know it's the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit of the Father, it's Jesus Himself. Uh, all members of the Trinity are involved in this, um, and it just I mean again it's just a clear indication of the the biblical teaching of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit being um, you know truly a a a, a member of the the divine nature. Uh, another passage uh, that just brings in the, the Spirit and Christ, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And we'll talk about this more in a later lesson for other reasons, but uh, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So there, again, Paul is just flipping between referring to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. Um, just no distinction there, and just tying them together. Um, so just, I mean, again, in a sense, all three members of the Trinity. Um, and then I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the benediction in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, uh, where it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So again, all three are brought together. Um, all three are clearly persons, um, and you would never use this type of language if you weren't, you know, if you were bringing in some kind of created being. And then finally, just as we close, in case there's any question about the distinctions between the persons, I mean, we've seen it pop up where clearly we're talking about different distinct persons, um, not just, um, I guess. To, to, to bring up the idea of, of different modes of existence. Because there are some uh, religious uh, persuasions that that's what they'll teach, that, you know, basically that, well, yeah, okay, we have, we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. That's all referring to God. Um, you know, we don't want to deny any of that. But it's just God who's taking on different roles. He's just existing in different modes. And so sometimes he's presented as the Father, sometimes he's presented as the Son, sometimes he's presented as the Spirit. Um, the Bible, I mean, I think many of the passages we, we've seen just militate against that, but one of the clearest passages, I think, uh, is in John chapter 16, where the, the members of the Trinity are brought together in a way where they just have to coexist as distinct persons and not refer to... Um, you know, uh, just God switching how he's interacting with man. So John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, uh, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that uh, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
So when you look at that passage and you try to make it where there's this, you know, temporal shifting uh, between the, you know, the the mode of the Father, the mode of the Son, and the mode of the Spirit, it just makes a mess of this passage. But if you look at this passage and you view it as three persons that simultaneously exist as distinct persons, um, then I, you know, then it, it makes perfect sense. Um, and so hopefully that gives us a, a good overview just of like who is the Holy Spirit, just in reference to the Trinity, in reference to the fact that he is in fact God, uh, the third member of the Trinity. Any questions or comments before we close? No? Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, I missed the reference, but you were talking about the Holy Spirit having a will at one point uh, mm-hmm. in relation to one of the texts. Um, we're now, um, but at the same time, I believe in the historical discussions of the Trinity, they said that God does have only one will overall. Is that something that I can't, I didn't, I missed that part of the text. Does that still square with the text overall? or With the idea of God only having one will? One will three, in his being, but the three persons are executing his will in different ways and stuff like that. Because I'm not sure exactly what your question is. Um, I, I missed the text, kind of, and I heard that the Holy Spirit had a will kind of distinct from God, but I might have misheard that. And, um, okay. Distinct um, from the rest of, uh, of, of, like, the Father or the Son. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it would be... I mean, I, I guess I'd want to be careful here, but, I mean, the, it specifically is spoken of as the Spirit who is willing okay. this thing. Um, that is willing the the distribution of the gifts, but we we certainly wouldn't want to set that in contrast to, the to what the Father and the and the Son would will. Yes. In terms of uh, giving the the gifts. Yes. So, uh, Sorry. So I, part of that was I, at that point I. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I hope I didn't say anything that suggested that. <laughs> you know, but all members of the Trinity are in complete agreement about everything yes. that they will. Uh, but the but the Holy Spirit, you know, is wills as part of the Trinity. Yeah, yeah yes. exactly. Wills as part of the Trinity, therefore indicating that the Holy Spirit is a a person, not just a force. The, the Holy Spirit has a will, but that will is in complete harmony with the Father and the Son. Yes. So okay. thank you for that. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't say anything to suggest otherwise, but got that clarified in any event. Anything else? All right, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just we thank you uh, for your Word. We thank you for how much it reveals of who you are, um, God. Truly, you are uh, just beyond our comprehension. And just just to consider that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, comprehends the mind of God. Um, truly, only you can comprehend yourself. And uh, God, we just thank you that you have revealed to us in part who you are. And God, I pray that you would just continue to increase our understanding, that we would just have a deeper knowledge of who you are. And God, that that would cause our love for you to grow, that we would uh, just really have an informed love, um, a love that uh, doesn't just view you as uh, some amorphous being who, who does good for us, uh, but really to understand um, 
as much as possible uh, your your thoughts, your will, your workings, um, God, just that we would be able to uh, appreciate uh, more truly and more fully who you are. And God, that we would, as a result, um, just live our lives in a way that is worthy of the calling with which you have called us. And God, I pray that you would continue to be with us as we uh, worship you this morning, as we hear from your word, as we sing your praises. Uh, God, just that you would, uh, just by your grace, that you would um, just fill us with your spirit and enable us to love and worship you as we should. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.